Well, good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill, and these are Jill's Journals Out Loud. And I am recording this uh, early in the morning. I believe it's Saturday. It's April 1st, but this is not an April Fool's podcast. In fact, uh, we're just going to take a deep breath. You can see from the title, this is a very serious, heavy subject kind of broadcast. But uh, I am trying to make peace with some of these ideas, and I thought, you know, Maybe I am not alone in some of these ideas. If this is the first time you're listening, uh, my podcast is really geared for those that I call Wired for Danger, meaning that your primary nervous system response to danger is to run towards it, to fight as opposed to flight or freeze, but knowing that we all three, all we all experience all three in a constant mixture as we move through life, because that's our stress, uh, sympathetic nervous system responding. Our parasympathetic nervous system is the one that comes in and tries to balance it all out, and that's the side we're going to talk a little bit more about today because. The stress of what's going on out in the world is extremely difficult to balance in this moment of time, and that's not even including anything any of us have going on at a personal level. And uh, what prompted this was I uh, was trying to listen to a podcast in which it was speaking about grief, and they never really got to it. So I was feeling aggravated because I wanted to, for some reason, I was uh, focused on that word in the podcast and they never really talked about it and they weren't, they don't have any knowledge. It was just like two women chatting and it was useless. And so as I thought about it, I thought, well, geez, Jill, you know a lot about grief and I do. Uh, (laughs) As a therapist and a social worker, I have wandered around the Uh, parameters of grief a lot, working in hospice, working in crisis, trauma, emergency room. I have experienced more death and dying on a professional level and a personal level than most people have. But what's interesting to me about that is not lately. That was a different part of my life when I left my work as uh, a social worker. Uh, I still did a little bit of therapy, but Eventually, I walked away from that, too. And so it's been more than 10 years since I have been professionally involved with anybody's mental health. Uh, And I was more interested in finding things that would work as opposed to this idea of just medication and talking because that was just never enough. Uh, You know, the healthcare system wasn't helpful. It just wasn't a good fit. And so... Uh, I have come up with this idea that it is our nervous system, our primary default nervous system into danger, which is really fear, is uh, a good way to understand how we will also best recover. Because I was interested in why so many uh, soldiers, veterans, first responders just don't get better with traditional treatment. And one of the reasons I believe that is that people who go into the helping profession, especially the therapy people, they are not wired for danger. They don't like conflict. Uh, they don't like discomfort. And so they tend to 
try to help within the parameters of their understanding of what some of it, of, you know, how to heal and how to recover and those kinds of things. And I know it didn't work for me. And so I can only imagine it didn't work for others. So that was kind of what prompted all this. And then uh, I've been focused on what I call this push-pull-pause process, which really is the fight-flight-freeze movement of the energy. And so when I was having my own conversation about what is going on with me, because I am stuck and uh, a lot of it is just the weather because it's cold, it's windy, it keeps snowing. Uh, and I know that the minute it gets warmer and sunnier and calmer, I switch over into a whole different energy pattern. Uh, and I really saw that in when I was in the Southwest desert this winter. It's like, oh, when you're not freezing cold and it's not dark and creepy, it's amazing what a difference the day makes, right? So a lot of what's going on, I think, for me right now is situational, uh, which is why I put depression up there. So I think, you know, one of the problems with the world today is that we've got so much information and we have so many uh, people who think they know what they're talking about and uh, declare because they've had a personal experience, it makes them an expert for everybody because, you know, Everybody must feel like I do. Uh, I get frustrated with it, but I also start, thought, started thinking that it's difficult sometimes to discern between what is grief, loss, and depression. And, you know, we toss those terms around quite a bit. Uh, we are terrified of being depressed, so we tend to medicate or push through it. And so I wanted to take a moment to step back and look at these things and then think about them through this lens of push, pull, pause. Oh God, the dogs just woke up. <sighs> That's not helpful for me right now. Uh, I have to tell you as a sidebar, there's this funny thing, like every time they hear a dog barking on, uh, I was, uh, it was a, I was listening to something, a commercial had a dog barking in it and they just go off, but I need to pause. All right, we'll see if we can resume. I just had a flooding moment. Uh, so I wanted to think about this grief, loss, and depression through the uh, lens of push-pull-pause. Because when you're somebody who is a wired-for-danger person, your primary response to what you don't want is to fight. And the one thing you can't push through is the energy of grief and loss. It is something that people desperately try to do because, oh, did I lose my microphone? Probably. Uh, because we are so uncomfortable culturally here in the West with grief and loss. Uh, we tend to medicate anytime we have a, a dis an uncomfortable feeling. Uh, and how that's the absolute one thing that does not work in true grief and true loss is to push through, which really kind of goes to my whole concept that the way out for people who primarily push is to look at pulling back and pausing. And if you're a fight person, there's nothing more uncomfortable than pause in the middle of extremely painful and uncomfortable feelings. And maybe people don't want to have feelings or they want to acknowledge emotions, but tough, it's a part of who we are because every thought triggers a chemical cascade within us. And that chemical cascade 
elicits an emotional response. Most of the time, we're just busy moving through life, and it doesn't really have much effect on us. But right now, when there's this bombardment of stuff going on out in the world, it is very difficult to be completely oblivious to what's happening around us. Uh, Whatever your current belief system is, it's extremely difficult to just not be aware that things are wildly uncertain and unstable out in the world. And it's a moment of time that we can't control, we can't do anything about. We can't fight our way through it because it's not happening to just us. It's happening to people around us. It's happening to our country. It's happening to our belief systems. It's happening to our life, our world, our experiences. There is a lot to grieve right now. And so I wanted to just take a moment to talk about a little bit about what the difference is between understanding grief and loss and depression because i think again you know we're it's it's such a confusing world because so many people have just announced that they're experts and they toss around the chemicals like somehow uh, again because they've had a personal experience that they know how everybody else feels and that just is not true we all have a wildly different degree of emotional response to anything Uh, Our nervous systems feel differently. Uh, Some people have a very sensitive sympathetic response. So they, like I just did, we dysregulate very quickly. Uh, My theory is that because we are wired to fight, we have to have a hair trigger response. Uh, And other people have an extremely slow response to stressors. So there's absolutely nothing right or wrong about any of this. And there's no supremely definitive definition. Uh, the clinical process is uh, the, diag- the DSM, which is the Diagnostic Manual for uh, Labeling. But really, the whole point of that is that you can get insurance to reimburse you. So I don't spend a lot of time there, but you had to have labels and numbers to have billing codes. So for those of you who've never worked in healthcare, if you don't have a diagnosis, you don't get paid. And so you have to have something wrong with you. Uh, Otherwise, uh, the medical professionals can't make money and the institutions can't take care of you. So it's an unfortunate system because some of those labels, like you're depressed, are uh, with you forever. And Uh, One of my aha moments with depression was with the whole understanding of metabolism. And so a lot of what we think depression is, is just a chemical imbalance due to nutrition, due to a sedentary lifestyle, due to uh, brainwave frequencies because you're watching too much screen time, you're not getting enough sunlight. Uh, Statistically, you are as likely to recover from depression with uh, a depression pill, which is a ser- which they believe they don't even know that now. Ser- serotonin uh, reuptake, uh, SSRI, and a placebo. They have the same effect, and even more if you just get outside, get some sun, and take some B vitamins. And so, as much as everybody thinks they know everything, they really don't. And so, when I look at depression, to me, there's there's a couple things that we look at. One is 
is you, are you having a medical, nutritional, uh, environmental, chemical imbalance? Because, uh, you know, if your thyroid is low, every body, every cell in your body slows down and it looks like depression because you're not functioning. And so I used to try to explain it to people that, uh, you know, the difference between what we would call a clinical depression and regular depression is uh, you know, a clinical depression is apathy. I don't want to do anything. I'm not motivated. But you still have the capacity to do something. To me, uh, everything else, and especially if you have a metabolic issue going on, is you want to do stuff, but you can't. You're just, you're too tired. Your brain is too foggy. Uh, you know, there's just, you don't lack the interest. You're not apathetic. You just can't get it done. But we are so invested in just giving people pills. Like even as a professional, I would have a doctor look at me and go, well, you don't know what depression is. And I'm like, excuse me, uh, I am a licensed professional. I should know. I think I know what depression is. And she goes, no, you wouldn't know it in yourself. And this is, you know, a doctor asking me two questions. And I wasn't depressed. I had low thyroid. And that changed everything. And so uh, it really made me aware about how ignorant we are. Now, the other uh, component of depression is what is you call is called situational and to me there's very legitimate reasons to be quote-unquote depressed like right now it it feels depressing we would call it depression but it's also dark and cold and windy and things like that it's you know there's a huge link between the amount of light and sunlight and how you feel just as a quick side note uh, the way the body is designed uh, you're supposed to get out and get sunlight when the sun rises. Uh, it takes 20 minutes without uh, sunglasses for your body to switch from serotonin turning on and melatonin turning off. Uh, same thing at night. If you don't have complete darkness, your brain does not turn off the waking up chemicals and turn on the sleeping chemicals. And if you think about, you know, living outside, uh, part of the the month you would have good sleep probably, and part of it you wouldn't because when there's a full moon, you don't have that real intense darkness that you need to turn your brain off. And so why a lot of people are sleepy and dysregulated is because they're inside all the time. They never get full-on sunlight in the morning to wake their brain up. Uh, and so they never are completely turning off that melatonin. And so you've got this, you know, mixture that makes you kind of sluggish and sleepy. And artificial light just makes it worse. And the worst thing you can do is do the night shift, is to be in reverse. Try to sleep during the day and stay awake at night. If you have that going on, your brain is extremely dysregulated. So there's a lot of stuff we want to just, you know, give somebody a pill for, but we are biologically designed to live a very specific way. And something as simple as getting up and getting sunlight first thing in the morning without sunglasses so that you get that light in your eyeballs to turn your chemical processes on and off is critical in resolving uh, what feels like depression uh, versus just the reality of when it's cold, it's dark, it's creepy. It's just hard to get motivated, right? So 
So there's just some realities about situational stuff. You know, there's some realities about what's going on in the world right now. It is depressing. So uh, when I talk about the difference between grief, loss, and depression, I just wanted to talk that depression is clinically diagnosed as, uh, you know, the apathy, not wanting to do anything. If it lasts more than two weeks, uh, you're considered into a major depression. Uh, But what I used to tell people, and just as a rule of thumb, is if you are, you know, pretty feeling depressed, and after about two weeks, if you're not feeling some kind of resolution, like if you are the most depressed, right? You know, you don't want to take a shower, you can't eat, you want to sleep all the time. If you don't feel some kind of resolution after about two weeks where like little tiny things are starting to creep in. When I was uh, at my worst one time when I had a significant loss, I was so depressed, right? In the middle of the grief, I'm like, I don't want to shower, I don't want to eat, I don't want to do anything. But I remember after about, you know, it was about the two week, maybe three week mark, I'm like, I can't take it anymore, right? I started, I wanted to function again. I couldn't keep myself from wanting to function. And so the body is designed to naturally start to resolve when you have an intense loss or an intense experience. If you find, whether it's a grief, a loss, or a depression, like because of something that's happened, it's not resolving, then that's when, you know, it needs to be looked at in terms of if there's something chemically or situationally or other things going on. In terms of just grief and loss, we are so phobic around uh, grief and loss processes. Now, I've talked about this before. There's a really good book called The Wild Edge of Sorrow that talks about the different kinds of griefs that we have. And one of the ones it touched on is kind of this global issue. And, And that's really kind of where I think a lot of us are, whether we're thinking about it or not, because we're just in this systematic deconstruction of our whole world. And yes, that is depressing, but it's extremely normal to be having a grieving experience about the loss, especially for those of us who are older, of everything that is who and what we are. And I was uh, watching, because uh, I got down the hill, I got to download some movies. I watched this the new Top Gun movie. And so uh, Tom Cruise and I are the same age. <sighs> he clearly looks much younger than I do. So here's to uh, having some work done. But, um, but his, you know, first Top Gun was when the world was normal as we understood it, right? And so I'm watching, you know, thinking about way back then versus now and how the movie itself was like a real movie. It was fictional because everything worked out, right? You know, there was conflict and drama, but the resolution was comforting. And, you know, there were thrill action scenes, but there was some character development. You know, it was like a real blockbuster movie, like in the olden days where you just sat and you had a movie experience. And and I was thinking how so much of that is gone, right? Like movies are terrible, TV is terrible, stories are terrible, the news is terrible, uh, our everybody's personal lives are terrible, everybody's losing somebody, everybody's got something terrible going on. Uh, those days of when 
sad and bad happened to everybody, but it was intermittent and there was still some normalcy. There was some escape, right? You could go to the movies. You always had breaks off. You know, terrible wasn't constant the way it is now. It's just there's a relentlessness to what's happening that is just so overwhelming and so unbearable. Uh, It's very difficult to like I said, being complete denial. And that is depressing. So when I was thinking about the grieving process itself and how uh, we're not talking about that, especially if you're a fight person, uh, what you're hearing and you've heard me complain about how everyone is just yelling louder and louder and louder. But I'm also observing, not just in myself, but in other people and other uh communicators, you know, people online or or, uh, around how they're sharing that they're hitting the wall also. There's just days where they can't deal with it. There's days they're shutting down and and how, you know, they keep having to get up and, and charge forward with the same pattern of fight, 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 you know, yell, yell, yell. Uh, communicate, 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 right? Uh, but nothing is changing. It just keeps getting worse and it gets keeps getting worse. And that is very depressing. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that we know about grief is that, and loss, is that it happens to everybody. I think what's difficult about this particular point of time is it's not just one thing. It's everyone and everything. There's nobody that's not being touched by loss. There's nobody that's not moving through some grieving experience on a personal level while at the same time having to watch all these things that are happening around us. There's no normalcy. There's no hope. Oh, if I can just get through this process, things will go back to normal and it'll be over. There's no resolution. There's no outcome that feels comfortable that that we can work towards, right? Even if you lose somebody, there's a knowing that you will eventually move through the grieving process and and relationships will still be part of your life or a job will still be part of your life or you can get another pet or you can get, uh, you know, you can move to a new place or if you're in a natural disaster, you can rebuild. I mean, there's just this moment where it's only going to keep getting worse. And for myself, you know, they're like, there's this panic about I can hardly deal with what's happening now. How am I supposed to deal with what's coming down the road? Uh you know, having increased my responsibilities with two dogs, which I can barely take care of myself. And so I think what's happening now is unprecedented, not in human history, but for our own experience in this moment of time. And I think it's very different when you're older because you have something to go back and remember. And that was sort of what struck me about the Top Gun movies. It's like, I remember what it felt like to watch the first one. Uh, And I think when we have actors uh, that are our age, we have a different relationship, you know, than when someone's a lot younger, it's a lot older because it feels like a peer-to-peer experience. And what life was like then, there was none of this other stuff, right? And now, all there is, is this other stuff. And how overwhelming and incapacitating it can be. And so, I 
I wanted to, you know, so I sat down from with myself this morning trying to think, what is it that helps move me through the grieving process? Because it's been a long time since I've had, I mean, I had a 10-year period where I lost so many people. I lost everything. And it was, uh, I was barely able to function. It was so, I mean, it was, it took me to a breaking point that I didn't think I could ever come back from. And so I can appreciate how difficult uh, loss and grief and uh, the destabilization of your life and everything in it can be. But, but again, you know, that was a long time ago for me and I'm just not there anymore. And I'm trying to come back into my awareness about what is it that gets us through all this loss and this grief. And I think the most important thing I really just wanted to say about it, because, you know, I'm trying to push through, I'm trying to get stuff done, and there's so many roadblocks that I can't control. It just makes it worse, but doing nothing is unbearable at the same time. So I recognize that we're all in different places and different stages with different uh, things that we're trying to push towards right now. But the one and most important thing about grief is you can't push through it. And it's a lot like addiction that there's a bottom place to it. And you can't really start to come out of it until you get to that bottom place. And even though we're not finished knowing about all the terrible things that are coming to us, uh, the most important thing is just the naming and the acknowledging of it. And to me, you know, that's the real power of the journaling process of writing things down because when we're pushing or we're running away, or we're freezing up, disassociating, pausing, you know, shutting down. We're trying to disconnect from the one thing we don't want to feel, that we don't want to know, and we don't want to deal with. And it isn't going to go away because it's happening. Whatever the grief is about, it's happening. Or, you know, the 80 million things are happening. And you can't control any of them. So depending where you are on the control scale, you know, is the discomfort with all of this. But none of it changes until you just acknowledge it and name it. And so there's something very powerful. I'm sorry, my microphone is moving around, so I have no idea what the sound's like. Uh, and when I say name it, it doesn't mean it's just one thing. And that's to me, you know, the power of the journaling process. Because when you just think and you don't write, it tends to loop and swirl and dilute. Uh, but when you physically write words down, there's a forming, there's a concreteness, there is a uh, coalescing, a congealing maybe, uh, that comes with that process. And it's like the touch point. And, uh, and that's the real power of grief is that it, it has a point in which it can't go any lower. And when you can name it and consolidate it and firm it up, then you can push off of it a little bit. Uh, but when it's jelly and and nebulous and gaseous, right, when it's not firm, it just, 
leaks into everything. And whether, you know, you respond to it with anger, if you respond to it with an addiction, whether you respond to it disassociation, uh, you know, one of the things people do is they just create crises in all kinds of other places. So they, so they can keep losing focus about what they don't want to focus on. Uh, it's all very disruptive. And so the most powerful thing you can do with grief and loss itself is to just get it firm and and that's sort of one of these uh, terrible things is because it doesn't feel good to do that because you have to really sit with it and look at it and then be honest. Uh, and that's sort of one of those things that we don't really do very well because, you know, when we lose someone or we lose something, we think, oh, you know, I'm sad about losing that person. And the truth is, is the sadness is the deep and overwhelming hole within us that has just been created. The other person's gone. They're doing okay. It's their absence and the energetic hole that's within us that's so painful. And, you know, there's the saying that nature abhors a vacuum. And so when we are not paying attention to the holes in our energetic system that are coming because of all the losses that we're experiencing, uh, it has to fill up with something. And so when you can be really, really honest about what the loss is or what the depression is, then you can grieve what's real as opposed to doing kind of a superficial grieving process, which doesn't resolve. And Sometimes, you know, there's a p people in the world that can walk you through it, but most people can't because the problem with grief is that most people and loss is we're so uncomfortable with it that we just want to wrap it up and get it over with. Oh, it'll be okay. I think, you know, one of the most terrible things I remember when I lost my first dog was how, and that was to me the worst loss because that was like my child is how everybody reacted and just disappeared. And I remember this one girl that we were friends and she said to me, okay, well, when you're done feeling bad, let me know and then we can go do something. And I'm like, excuse me? Like, here's the most significant thing that's ever happened to me, you know, at that point. And you're telling me that, um, actually, that's not true. But anyways, re regardless, it was a terrible experience. And she's saying, well, when you get over it, let me know so we can go back to being superficial. <laughs> and I never talked to her again. And I remember her husband saying, you know, she really misses you being a friend. I'm like, what friend, right? What friend says to you, well, when you're finished being depressing, let me know so we can be, she didn't say superficial, but essentially that's it, right? So when we can be superficial again. And so, uh, you know, there's something very defining about people who can, stick and be in the grief with you, which is almost nobody because we're so culturally uncomfortable with the depth of pain that comes with real loss and real grief. And we are having a real experience right now to be sad about because we are just whatever country you're in is having its own unique challenges. But everybody's having a challenge because we are having a deconstruction of everything that we know and was true for us. And it's normal, it's important, it's healthy to grieve that loss. And grief is uncomfortable, but necessary. 
Because if you just try to push it away or push through it or run away from it or freeze up and not deal with it, it festers and then it morphs out into all these other things that are destructive. And the most important thing we can do is to just name it and not push at it. And the miraculous beauty of the way that we're designed physiologically is it can't stay with us forever unless we don't want to deal with it. And it's like a closet. You know, you keep shoving stuff in the closet and eventually there's no more room and it comes bursting forth. And, you know, that's what grief and loss and pain and suffering are. When we don't want to deal with it and we keep trying to push it away and lock it up in a closet, eventually there's no more room and it erupts and becomes just a great big mess we have to deal with. And so uh, I don't have any magic secrets about how to deal with what's happening all around us. I just know that it's real and that each of us is having a different response to it. So it's not important why you're grieving or not grieving or interpreting what's going on around us, but it's just the understanding. It's not happening to you alone. It's happening to all of us. We're all having a different experience with it. But the most important thing, if we only take one thing from all of this, is you can't fight, push through grief. It has. There has to be a pause in which you let it coalesce and firm up and name itself and acknowledge it. Because once it becomes firm and real, then you can start to move away from it. But as long as it's just, you know, swirly energy that doesn't have a name, it doesn't have a form, it's just an idea. You may say, oh, I know why I'm grieving because I lost somebody or I lost my job or I have a health challenge. Is It's always deeper than that because it's not about whatever you think it is about there. It's about you and what what your fear is and what you really are losing and and what we are all losing as the world deconstructs is our identity our sense of safety our sense of understanding about who we are and what we are and what it means to even be alive and will we be alive i mean there's so many things that are happening that are terrifying to the very simple constructs of what it means to be a human in the world today is really scary. And so underneath that really scary, though, is this grief about it's never coming back. We're never going back to Top Gun movies in the 80s and where you get to just watch a good movie and you get to go outside and resume your life and talk about, you know, celebrities before you knew their politics and it's just never coming back. And that's really depressing. <laughs> so I just wanted to do an overview about those different things. I wanted to talk about just the grief and loss of it all. Uh, it's normal to feel depressed about all of this, but uh, depression is really, you know, many different things. It's we, we call it like one thing, but but grief and loss are very real and just part of who we are as human. And 
And it's pro- and it's all process, not outcome, which makes a lot of people uncomfortable because you can't control it, you can't fix it, you can't solve it, you can't make it happen faster than you than it it's going to take. And we all have a different relationship with it because we all have, are having different experiences. But the thing that we all have in common is it's happening to all of us at the same time, and trying to push into solutions or push into the future, it's important that we do that at some point, but none of it will be effective unless we allow ourselves to name and own the grief and the loss of what's actually happening. And so that's something I'm trying to think about right now because uh, I'm struggling just like so many people I think are right now. Uh, You know, there's the practical stuff that needs to get done, but there's just this overwhelming helplessness about watching everything fall apart and we can't do anything about it. We're just watching it fall apart. And then the, you know, the effects of what that's going to be for each of us personally and the people we care about is really overwhelming. So I just wanted to name that. Now the dogs are quiet. So... (laughs) All right. Deep breath, my friends. Have a fabulous weekend and I will see you next time.